and uh, <laughs> I can tell you it's based on good metrics. Yep, that's good to know. That's good to know. It's yep. surprising, actually, because they came reasonably late into the market, didn't they, um, yep. compared to other players? And you would have thought by then, you know, the market would have been hoovered up. But they've got a good niche. They know who they're targeting and start to, to, to expand. So, so yeah, let, let, me look, tell look you, for them. let me tell you what they've got cracked. Uh, the ability to serve up the right types of adverts to exactly the right types of people at the right time, <clears throat> frictionless sale, no sales team needed. Right. So, Almost so no, customer saying... success, no customer success needed. They've built a great model. Yeah. So the success is not so much product-based, but business-based in the sense of leads generation, closing sales, getting the right people in. The, well, the fun... the products. Product's good as well. But I mean, oh, yeah. I'm, the... not criti- I'm not criticizing product. Mm. I'm just saying that's not the that's not the no, they're, they're funnel. Yeah. Their funnel is Ewan is a Ewan is an expert, expert digital marketer. That's good to know. I might need to get his advice at some point. Um love to get input on this. You can you can definitely get better at um growth and lead generation. There's no question about that. Um anyway, listen, let's get on with the conversation. Welcome everybody to Brain Food Live on Air. It's episode 177. Um, uh, very excited to be having a chat with you today. Uh, this is a really interesting topic and a, it's, a, it's a topical topic um, because I think this period in the recruiting world, certainly we've been hearing a lot um, about the situation in tech startup, tech scale-up, uh, particularly high-profile tech layoffs, um, particularly withdrawal of VC funding. Um, we're seeing all kinds of like crazy stories starting to emerge as companies get really pressured. Um, and so I thought this would be a really good time uh, to talk about what it is to be in a startup, what it is to be in a scale-up, and how does the culture change when the, uh, uh, I guess, the economic environment changes? Um, and what do we need to know as recruiters and indeed candidates um, when we're looking at these opportunities and presenting them to people? So it's going to be an exciting conversation. I'm pleased that you're here with us and joining us. So um, let's do a few sound checks as usual. I just want to make sure everyone here is okay. Um, if you're on Crowdcast, you can see some of my 50 out of you are. Um, can you let me know whether the audio and video is okay? You should be able to hear Adam open up tins of beer or something, because um, I certainly can. Um, so if you can hear that, then 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 please say so in the chat um, and let us know. Um, I'm going to check on LinkedIn. We should be broadcasting this on LinkedIn. So folks watching on LinkedIn live, please let me know whether you can hear me okay. Um, I'm always like super concerned on this because it's just so fiddly. Um, yeah, I think I fucked it up. No, no, I'm live there. That's good. Um, yeah, 25 people watching it there. That's good. Let me know if you can hear me okay on there. And we're live streaming elsewhere, Facebook, Twitter as well, which I can't actually actively monitor. So that's all, all good. Anyway, with Adam, good to see you, Adam. Hope you're well. Um, and... Um, and yeah, it's not beer, is it? You're non alcoholic these days, aren't you? No, but thanks, thanks very much for saying tins of beer. Who the hell says tins of beer these days, other than like someone's gran? Is that? But is anyway, that used? this is a first. This is a first for Brain Food Live. In a, probably, uh, it might not be, but it, I think it certainly is for me. In that, I did open up a tin. It is trip, and it is CBD infused cold brew i'm looking for a mellow show today 
let's see what happens. Keep an eye out on his eyes. Pupil dilation, <laughs> you know, if Adam it's... starts wandering off into some tangent uh, later on, if that becomes a little bit more extreme, you will know why. The man I don't think is... it's psychoactive. I don't think it is. What's we'll the point if it isn't? I mean, it's like... <laughs> You'd hope it is. You get your money back. Anyway, um, enjoy. I mean, I'd actually want to partake in some of that, although in moderation, because I think, you know, you want to be able to to um, imbibe certain substances. I think that's generally okay. But at the same time, you've got to make sure that it's not overly excessive. And indeed, you don't do it at the wrong age in your life, because I think a lot of people early on, particularly boys, actually, something happens to their brains preteen don't do anything like that before then i've had a few friends that have gone the wrong place but anyway there we go um let's uh let's oh new change by the way we always want to thank our sponsors but there's a new way we're doing it these days and i asked every sponsor whether they want to do it and only a very very few of them have said yeah i'll do it um and uh, basically what we're going to try and do is get the the, the founder of the company on um to say a few words to us so you can directly hear from the horse's mouth rather than from me. So today's sponsor are our good friends at Talantia. Uh, their CEO is Christian Payne. Uh, he's going to come on screen right now and he's going to talk to you in about 60 seconds of why, why you should care about Talantia, uh, particularly if you are a rapid growth business in the Nordics. There he is. How are you doing, Christian? Good to see you. Good to see you, Hong. Yeah, doing great. Thanks. Good. So have you met Adam, by the way? Is that is, is, is that something you've connected with? No? Not a, sent a message on LinkedIn, but we've never had a formal chat, so I think that's good to see you. Good to see you, Christian. Welcome. One has ignored the other, so whoever it is that sent the message, uh, you know, check that. And whoever it is that hasn't uh, responded, please do that and just close that loop. Um, all right, Christian, give it, give it, give it to us, man. Talantia, who are you? What it is you do? Why should we care? <laughs> Appreciate the stage, thank you. Great. Talent here, a Copenhagen-based RPO company. We went live in May 2021, so uh, 17 months now. Team of nine, all nine different nationalities based here in Copenhagen. Um, all recruiters currently booked on clients, sitting mostly in-house, working with both startups, scale-ups, and large organizations. Three tiers of service, from search, embedded recruitment, to full-scale RPO. Um, operates across the Nordics and, and also in Europe, and got a client in London as well, so um yeah that's who we are amazing good to know and if you're in those areas obviously rpos will you know be flexible in terms of location but i think especially in the nordics um where we're hearing a lot of great stories from businesses a lot of great recruitment tech actually coming uh out from uh, denmark sweden and norway as well so it seems they have really bubbling market if you are one of those businesses that need support in your recruiting either to this year or next get in touch with Christian at Talantia uh, and he or one of his team will be more than happy to run you through what the services and how it might fit in with your needs. Um, all right, cool. Christian, thanks a lot for your intro. Wonderful delivery. Um, uh, let me uh, let you go. Uh, do keep watching. I might want to bring you back into the show because some of your experience might well be relevant to this. But uh, yeah, Adam, are you going to say something? Yeah, You're quick question. Quick question for, for Christian. Did you say nine, nine in the team and nine entirely different nationalities? Wow, yeah, that's amazing. You got to try and keep that going as long as possible. I want to hear in 12 months it's 100 in the team and 100 different nationalities. That'd be amazing. There are one. There are 150 uh, nationalities in the world, isn't there? So, uh, you know, there is there is that sort of upper limit you can shoot for. So good luck with that journey, Christian. Um, and stay with us on the show. Maybe I'll bring you back in a, in a moment. 
Um, okay, great. Let's get on with this. Uh, we're going to be speaking with, we're going to bring on our guests. Why, why don't we do it? Um, uh, we're going to bring on, let's see, Maggie's there. Oh, it might, might be Margarita. Oh, no, she's not there. I'll tell you what, she hasn't, she hasn't signed up to it. Um, let me make sure that uh, we'll get Robert anyway. We have Vanessa as well. While you're bringing the guests on, I want to say yeah. I like I liked the way that you you described this session about you know um, how does the culture change when you know economic environment changes and whatever. I mean, um, what you really mean there is how does the culture change when the shit hits the fan and investors start getting badass? Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, basically, my uh, my attitude very recently is, you know, is is good is good is great culture actually just great runway um uh, you know because you you look at all of the the companies that say oh we've had this terrible toxic environment yada 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 they're exactly the same companies that you know back when they were raised to your series b at 150 million everyone say what a great place to work um and i'm thinking yeah a lots of money will help with that <laughs> you know it's like just rub some money into that culture it, and it turns it, into an amazing thing it's um, fun watching so. it's fun watching your football team when they're winning Exactly that, exactly that. So we'll definitely explore this. Uh, but we've, we've got Robert on, we've got Nestor on as well. So whilst I try and get Meggie on, why don't we introduce ourselves? Robert, can you quickly intro you yourself? Who are you? What is you do? Sure. Hello, everybody. Hopefully you also can hear me well. Uh, my name is Robert. I have actually been in a TA space for the last decade or so. I don't know, sounds really old. But for the, for the uh, last four years, I actually spent in Berlin and I head up now three of the Berlin unicorns in terms of talent acquisition, especially for uh, focusing on tech. That's me. Cool, good stuff. And where, where are you now, um, Robert? Give us some latest context. Sure. Uh, so at the moment, uh, I'm actually finished my latest assignment with Fortum. Fortum was a logistic tech. Um, so they were trying to revolutionize global trade through digitalization, but also through focus on biofuels, which is cool, cool. very interesting. Cool, cool. All right, amazing. So Maggie's actually here, but I can't find her. She's gonna give me her name. Uh, this is a note for guests, by the way. Try and use your like real name, and then I can pick you out. Okay, here's Ger Anessa. Germany, Germany, my Lilium. Oh, there she goes. There she goes. Germany, my. <laughs> how am I meant to find that? <laughs> it's like, oh, there we go. Um, let's bring her on. Uh, Anessa, there you are. Um, can you quickly introduce yourself? Good to see you, by the way. Uh, introduce yes. yourself. Who are you? What did you do? Yeah, so Anessa Fike, um, I have also been doing talent for more than a decade. Also makes me feel a little older um, than I'd like to feel. But I actually own Fike & Co. Um, have had my own firm for nearly the last decade. Um, groups of workshops through growth. Um, but my first kind of um, talent acquisition um, experience, professional experience was with The Motley Fool, which I know you all are familiar with in the UK as well. Um, but I've worked with over 100 companies around the world, both on the people and HR side and the talent side. So I've seen a lot of growth, a lot of scale ups, a lot of startups, a lot of different stages, different sizes, uh, seed round through pre and post IPO. Um, and mergers and acquisitions as well. So lots of different um, TA experiences. Great, and great to have you on, Anessa. Look forward to having a chat with you throughout the course of this uh, hour we have. And we do have Maggie here as well. How are you, Maggie? Finally, we got you on. Sorry about this. I actually saw now, if I typed in Germany, my Lilium, it just come up as Maggie Saylor. So I almost got a heart attack there. <laughs> you know, honestly, you know, I signed all in. I, you know, I prepped beforehand, very Austrian, 
as I am, you know, had done everything beforehand, change it to Maggie Saline. When I chatted with you guys, it didn't come through, but I'm here. You know so thank you he for is, having me. Nice to not, meet you guys. No worries. By the way, if anybody Crowdcast is watching, they kind of need to uh, make their profiles a little bit more adjustable because I think it is difficult to change your name. Difficult to change your email. Like I signed up with an old email I don't yeah. even use anymore. All the notifications go there. So yeah, you got to fix that. Anyway, Maggie, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What is you do? Yes, of course. Um, obviously, I'm Maggie Saylor. I'm originally from Austria, Vienna, but I live here in the UK in beautiful Hampshire, although it's raining. So yeah, anyway, um, I am pretty much known for having scaled some amazing companies like Tesla Motors from scratch from the beginning, um, or Lilium Aviation, which is a really cool tech startup. Well, no longer a startup at the time was a tech startup uh, in Munich. Um, so watch out for the future. We're all going to commute with uh, VTOL air yeah, taxis, which is very exciting. So my background is HR um, and recruiting, and I founded my own company, Monday Squares, and recently launched my first ever book around um, people, culture. It's called Culture Ops, so check it out if you have time. So again, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here with all these amazing speakers and guests. Thank you. Feel free to share the book into the chat stream, um, mm -hmm. the, link, the link to that, uh, Maggie. I don't mind plugging things, you know. Let's go yeah, ahead and be amazing. Like, sell yes. some of the... Let's shift some of those uh, numbers there. Uh, by the way, I never received the copy. Not to say you should send no. it to me. But <laughs> no, I, I have. I, no, and I, I totally, I totally think you have. But basically, I, yeah. someone, I share a letterbox, and I think someone just yeah. nicked it. So, so that's it. why I don't like people sending me stuff because mm. basically, I, I can't trust the letterbox. But don't worry about it. Um, I go will, ahead and share, share the link in there, and we'll. we'll I will do because, to be honest, maybe I'll need to just come and pop it to you in person soon because I had somebody else saying they didn't receive it. So I personally blame the UK post office. Personal delivery of a signed book. <laughs> How can I say no? Let me know when you're in London. <laughs> Definitely, we'll catch we'll up with people lunch or yeah. something. Okay, let's get on with this topic, folks. Um, uh, the topic of the, of the talk is hard truths. So today we want to just peel back the onion layers a little bit. Um, there's a lot of people watching this, I think, with some experience of startup, some with no experience of startup. Um, and it's worth us using this session just to describe what it is. It's not a try and like to do a hit job in this, this area of the, of, of the industry. I think we all love working in this space. Um, but it is about, okay, what is generally overstated um, that is, you know, something that the, is a little bit of a disservice to candidates coming through. So let's start with that idea. Um, I mean, if, if we could just start with that thought bubble, what do you think is somewhat overstated in startup or something startups commonly say um, that you think actually that can be not true? And sometimes that's just, you know, you're going to disappoint people if you kept on saying that. Um, let's go with you firstly, Robert, if I can. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Sure. And I think that's a very interesting one. For me, that would be also the focus on learning that the startups promote, that you obviously, you know, you, you will learn so much by, by, you know, by obviously doing the job that you do. The problem with learning is that if you have no structure around it, there's nobody really guiding you, mentoring, and you're just left with a problem that is really, really big, it sometimes actually can become more of a curse. So that selling of, hey, you know, there's so many problems you can learn from that. It's great. And don't get me wrong, you do, but it comes as a tremendous cost of, of really actually trying to solve something that you might not be really suited to solve or might be really a big problem. And you don't have really a framework or a network around you that really can support you with unlocking that, that challenge. That's a really important insight. It's almost like... Um... 
like I wouldn't say it's an excuse, but you might say, hey, listen, this is a place where you get to learn a bunch of new stuff, but actually it's like management neglect in a way, in a sense, you're shoving unqualified, inexperienced people into positions of responsibility that they, you know, they're not equipped to deal with. And yes, some people will be able to learn quickly, others won't, and then there's collateral damage. I'm just imagining, okay, what if you put uh, someone in charge of HR really early, right? And they don't have any experience of any of this. And then suddenly they're making big decisions. And it's like, you will learn stuff, yes, you will. But actually, are you then cascading a bunch of bad experiences to people who actually need a bit more support? So really interesting. Sink a swim situation. And unfortunately, when you sink, it's also then not very pretty, as you mentioned. There is a lot of collateral damage in those those scenarios. Yeah, yeah. Anessa, can you give us an example of what Robert described? Um, <laughs> in, in your consultancy world and your work, yes. maybe even internally, can you like just, I, what what was in your did a vision come across across your mind yeah. when you're hearing that? Yeah. So for for me, I think that speaks to me because um, that is something that a lot of startups struggle with, right? Because people get promoted very quickly in a startup, right? That's part of the selling point being able to move your way up the ladder very quickly. But what a lot of startups don't focus on early enough that they should is making sure those people are trained, right? So you've got a VP that has never actually been trained how to manage people. They've never even been told how to have one-on-ones, right? Or even if they should be having one-on-ones. So there is this movement to move people up, but a lot of times startups focus later on learning than they should. And they don't take the time to actually teach people how to be great leaders and great managers. A lot of these leaders and managers have to learn on their own. And as we all know, when that happens, sometimes they learn good things, but sometimes they learn really bad habits that are really hard to decompose later, right? So we've got to, when we do those trainings, when we do those um, workshops with them, it's almost like you have to untrain them again and then retrain them because they've learned their own skill sets based on how they're able to survive and manage and because no one has taught them that, right? So, and then they go from startup to startup to startup and no one has, maybe they're three startups in and they're at a VP level and no one's ever taught them how to do this, right? So we see that a lot, yeah. Right, so so there's a sec, almost a second natural outcome of the throwing people into the, uh, the, 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 the fire, so to speak, is this sense of overpromotion? So let's say the ones that do survive this, um, somehow there's, there's, you know, through, through hard work, improvisation, good luck, they've got through uh, whatever it is that they were unequipped to do. But then they're walking around this title, they get the next job, and everyone thinks, yeah, this person is fully qualified. <laughs> yeah, but they, they don't have the structure. Um, well, the other piece too is that maybe they never wanted to be a manager too, right? Like I think in startups, we never ask people if they want to be people managers. We just assume they do. And maybe they're a really good individual contributor, but they are not a good manager. And it doesn't mean they're not, you know, useful in a different situation, but sometimes we don't even ask them if they want to be people managers. We just promote them to be people managers. Yeah. I think, I think it's almost like the, the question has already been, the, the assumption is that the question's already been asked when you've hired this person, of course, they want this hugely fast career growth and we're just going to yeah. fire on through. Um, Maggie, uh, go to you on this. Um, is this sense of overpromotion just not like, uh, what, what, how do you call it? Apart for the course, in the sense that, look, this is the deal in rapid scale businesses. It is going to be messy. You're going to float this way. You know, we, we, we can't be overly critical because that's the that's the story, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to all the training inside of things, when people look at startup, I think, to be fair, that's what they expect. You know, everything that they mm. don't get in a big corporate company, that's what they're hoping to get when they go to a startup. So they want less politics. You know, they want 
less reporting lines. They don't want all these processes and system. And yeah, they do see it as a fast way to progress their career. And so to an extent, you, you actually caught in that, in the sense that, um, you know, you also want to offer that as course as a starter because that's part of the appeal, you know, that's part of what you're selling. You're selling that amazing product. Um, a lot of them sell an amazing culture and it's not always the case, right? But one of the other real things that you have in your pocket as a founder or as a recruiter is you have these amazing career opportunities. And, and going back to Anessa, obviously, there, that then comes the fact where people aren't trained, um, and also, you know, what Robert said, you know, people just starting to do whatever they think is right. And that actually goes back to culture. Quite often, I find um, one of the things that isn't enough discussed or gets overpromoted is culture. And quite often in startups, the people don't even understand their own culture or the founders. The culture has naturally grown, right, with the founders. But as a company scales, it's, it's not tangible. You need to help people understand it through your onboarding, you know, through workshops, you know, as, as Anessa said, you need to get people on a journey with you. So yeah. I think that gets overpromoted too, you know, your career progressions, the amazing cultures you join, and then they fall apart really quickly. You need to nurture them, don't you? Yeah. Well, that's a, sorry if I can jump, very poignant point, actually, you know, that, that, that you said, because I work for a lot of startups where culture is almost used like an excuse against mm -hmm. any clarification, understanding, processes, policies. They said, we don't need this because we have this culture. And if we mm. this culture, people are going to automatically kind of know what to do and know what's the right what's thing. The right thing. But that is what's leaving the room open for just like so much misinterpretation and yes. actually being really lost. Yeah. Not knowing what to do because culture is so like hard to define. And what's very yeah. clear in founders' head, it's not very clear down the down the line. And that actually, you know, it's causing a lot of havoc. Yeah. Okay. And you know, let, culture. Let me, Sorry. Let me say this real quick, folks. If you're watching this, um, what are your opinions? Um, are you in a startup, a business, or have you had experience working in a startup? And have you felt um, that culture was deployed as some sort of excuse for bad, bad process, or lack of process, or even bad behavior? Right? It's like it's like literally sometimes bad or unethical behavior, or we're fast moving, or something like this. Um, yeah. Have you have you just felt that? You know, let me know in a comment. I'd love to hear it. Um, Maggie, you were, you were about to say. Yeah, sorry. And you know, this is um, just to jump in there really quickly, Robert. Actually, it's such a shame, you know, because your culture is actually your base. It's what creates that common language. Is what creates equality. If you understand your culture and you use it as a base for your systems, your processes, your behaviors. And you're turning into language and you communicate it is actually super powerful it's one of the best things you can have in your company in startups culture is what differentiates you from the competitor quite often right um it's just a way of using them and knowing how to scale and grow it i think that can be really hard for founders especially for first-time founders or anyone who's never been in a leadership role you know if you don't understand how to work with this it can uh, go bed really quickly and the last thing you want is to use it as an excuse um and, and people turn sour me, really quickly i'm sorry Hank, if you want to move to another topic but i have one more yeah. thought that leads me to one of the biggest uh, kind of discoveries that i had working for startups is that and i think in every company there is the official culture the one that you display mm -hmm. on your website the one that's mm -hmm. branding about the one that you say in an interview and yep. there is the actual culture what really yeah. happens, what really people are behaving, how those meetings happen kind of down the line. 
And in some companies, that delta is small, but in some companies, that delta between the official and perceived culture is huge. So yep. you know, one of your questions was like, what do you, what would you say to people coming from corporates to, uh, you know, to 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 startups? Is this one like find out what is that delta, and if you're comfortable with that delta between the official and the kind of culture on the ground. All right, that's actually a really good point, folks, because one of the things that might be useful for, for us to walk away from at the end of this, if we take it from the candidate perspective, um, and it could be a recruiter joining a startup, right? Um, but one of those things is to bear in mind that inevitably the rhetoric is going to be different from the reality when it comes to these cultural statements. Just accept that as just a human reality, you know, there's no judgment. But what is the distance between those two things? Because the wider the gap, um, the, the the more due diligence, I guess, you need to do, but also that in itself is a sign that maybe some of the stuff that's articulated isn't actually, you know, it's decoupled from what how behaviors really are. So what is the delta, using your term, Robert, excellent term, um, between rhetoric and reality there? Um, someone mentioned first-time founders. Let's talk about this a little bit. Is there a difference between a startup? Is there like a, a, a generalization that we could oh, yeah. risk to say... <laughs> First time founder cultures are generally like this. And you know what? Well, if the person's been around one or two more times, they've actually done this and moderated it. Is there, is it, can we do a broad strokes on that? What are your thoughts? Anessa, Adam actually come in on this as well, being a founder multiple times yourself. So, um, but go with Anessa first. I was going to say most of the time, and I, I don't want to lump everyone into this category because I've worked with a CEO that was a first time CEO, um, but he was phenomenal but he had a great amount of professional experience that he brought with him. Um, and he was great. But for most of the time, I'm going to say 85, 90% of the time in my experience, first time CEOs are really the most difficult because they don't know a lot of times some of these CEOs have never even managed people themselves. And now they're in charge of billions of dollars of funding. They have this whole company that they're building. They don't know how to read, you know, and a P&L statement. They, there's a lot that sometimes is lacking, but the number one thing for me that's lacking from a first time CEO or founder as compared to others is self-awareness and emotional intelligence. And a lot of times, right, they think that because they have a great idea, it, it's going to work. And it doesn't always work that way, right? They need help. They need to bring experts in. They don't need to be, to be the decision maker on everything. And it's really hard when your startup is your baby, right, to break away from that, to bring experts in, to know you don't know everything. And that just comes with either being a founder or CEO before, having professional experience where you have managed people, where you've been in that spot. But that's the glaring thing for me is the differences in most first-time founders and CEOs is that lack of awareness and that lack of emotional intelligence yet. All right. That's actually a really good thing. And, and again, I'm just thinking of a checklist that a candidate looking at startups might think about. Um, one of them is what is the background of the CEO um, mm -hmm. and has the CEO you know, gone through the mill a couple of times or is it the first go? And that's not negative either way because the first yeah. go could, uh, gives you lots of different things. But it's something to be aware of. Now, what would be the, 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 the things to, to be aware of if you're moving into a scenario where it is a first-time CEO? Maggie, go with you on this one. Yeah, so if you were to be a candidate and you're looking for startups, um, I agree, you know, actually with Anessa again, you know, with regards to self-awareness, but founder aside, I actually think from a candidate perspective, I would look at the funding, you know, and who is behind funding that particular company if you're thinking of applying for a startup or 
who else is has these founders of the founder or the founding team surrounded themselves with right or what are the qualities of the founder so what are their studies and what do the others do so that's actually i find a quite interesting thing and what is it that they want to build i always get i mean i love startups right i'm super biased i get always really excited about technology and you know the on the dog who wants to change the world um but really, you want to look at where are the finances, what are the chances of the product, what's the reality, depending on what you're in for with your career, right? Because this is also an interesting one. You know, somebody just wants to join a company for a couple of years and get that experience of that particular technology at the time. So I think it depends as a candidate what, what you want, really. But I'd always look at the funding and who's behind the funding and what's the yeah, growth I, I... potential. I think candidates basically are certainly heightened due diligence in this type of situation, this market, I think they've got heightened due diligence. Um, and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, looking at the, uh, uh, the funding, the runway, all those things, super important. Um, okay, Adam, go to you, go on, mate. Yeah, I entirely agree with what Maggie just said about looking at the funding. And um, I think it's probably going to be quite difficult for most people unless they've built a startup or they've been heavily involved in startups to work out how to use Crunchbase, to work out how mm -hmm. to go and look at what does that actually mean? What type, what's the yeah. difference between a seed investor and a yeah. you know, private equity company? I mean, who, you know, mm -hmm. most people don't really know the difference between these things, but if you do, then yeah, you can make a big assumption around what's going to happen when the shit hit the, hits the fan economically yeah. to that mm -hmm. business. And I think about companies in our sector, like TA tech businesses, where they've gone and got loads of praise and, been lauded for raising huge amounts of money on very big valuations and you can bet that they are cutting you know people and cutting spend much faster than the mm. business who haven't gone and done that type of thing uh, i did want to also just quickly go back to i think um anessa's comment about first-time founders the link between first-time founders and emotional intelligence and I, I, I got to say, I'm not entirely sure that somebody with low emotional intelligence as a first time founder has got any emotional intelligence as a fifth time founder. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not sure I get the link between like, you know, I can appreciate somebody who founds a business out there, garage, garage, you know, stops university to do it. They're 21 years old and they're doing it in, you know, California. They've got no life experience, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas somebody, and I know I'm being ageist here, but they've got no life experience. Whereas somebody who's 40 <laughs> that starts a business has got a lot more experience in how to deal with humans. So Adam's desperately def defending his own middle age here. He's, he's trying to make himself feel better. This is this is what is is, is yeah, a form of copium. It's, it's like yes, I mean you're falling apart, bro. I mean, I, I've, learned, I've got life experience. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear. No, but actually, Adam, that's a very important point because life experience is experience. You apply that to your uh, working with people, right? Um, mm -hmm. You apply it when you're handling individuals. I think a parent has very different management skills, must have developed management skills um, compared to a person that has not been around kids, has not tried to raise kids and what have you. Um, uh, I think these things definitely do make a difference. Um, so, so yeah, maybe that's something again mm -hmm. that a candidate needs to scrutinize. Go beyond, you know, what you, you know, the, the, the media a reportage on the individual, but you know, what is that person's personal journey like? Uh, where have they gone through? And does that help you in some way? At least inform you how you know that 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 business might be run 
in that first instance. Well, the, um, the other, the other well, aspect of that is that somebody who founds a business has often is often absolutely brilliant at one thing or at mm -hmm. one like really quite narrow thing. And and actually when if if they can develop the self-awareness to be able to say, I'm not the right person to be CEO of this business, this, this brilliant business that I've built, and they've got the you know, enough, just enough or somebody, an advisor that, uh, you know, they respect, you can tell them you're brilliant. You're building a brilliant business, but you shouldn't be the CEO. And it's going to go get much better in every way. If you're not the CEO and they appreciate that and they bring somebody in, that's great. And, you know, you saw it in even Google, you've seen it in quite a few companies that have gone on to be mega successful. So um, that's something that doesn't really happen very often, but when it does happen, it's a boost to the business. Yeah, I think that that is actually a level of self-awareness that multiple goals does tell you a little bit. Um, because I think most CEOs, if you ask them the first, second time round or whatever, they will say, yeah, sure, I'll step aside. Um, but in reality, you might you might have needed to have crashed a few of those down uh, before you realize, you know what, it's actually on me that. Um, and they'll recognize when the right time it is to exit. I know a few friends that are like that in the sense that you know, they know that it's definitely at the start of early stage ideation, product market fit, early team. But when it gets to operating a business and starting to make revenue or going to these mega rounds and doing a lot of that type of heavy fundraising, that's not them, you know, and they, they actually don't, don't enjoy that and they step away. Um, so um, let's talk about um, the, the, the maturation of a startup stroke scale up, um, because that I think is also very impactful in terms of, you know, from a candidate perspective, how you need to be thinking about your experience if you join that company. Joining a company at seed round, totally different from joining at series D. Do we agree with that? Um, you know, it's a different yeah. type of rhythm. So can we like broadly describe what that feels like um, if anybody's been through that type of pathway and that journey? So what, do, what, what, what would it be like if I joined a startup, 10 people in, they're just about to raise a seed round. How is my world going to look like if I'm a, a recruiter or, or what have you? Any thoughts on this? I'll throw it open to, to everyone. Sure. I actually uh, work with um, in, a, in a Series A business, Series B, C, and D business. So, so you know it, Robert. Yeah, you know it. Done, let's let's hear it, man. Yeah, done the done the done the whole journey, and it actually is a journey. What makes a good leader or a manager for a Series A business is something that actually is completely not right for Series C or then D business. Because um, yeah. first early stages, all you do is really kind of go deep about actually creating something. You need builders. You need people that kind of are comfortable with the unknown, that can quickly kind of put things together, just kind of like embrace the uh, the, um, uh, the ambiguity. Really, you know, like create the first policies, first draft, experiment, and as then the complexity scale, the whole emphasis shifts really on kind of like operational excellence. Actually, like really managing bigger teams, bigger complexities, understanding nuances, understanding data very well, understanding kind of like business, how it really operates. And those builders, the early builders, find themselves really kind of like in the deep water of already out of touch with the rhythm. And very often, I've been actually, even in the discussion as obviously head of TA, the, the C-levels realize that and at that kind of CD level, there is a there is there's kind of a conversation okay what we do with our early leaders they've been loyal they've been with us but they may be not the right people for now 
And then there is this kind of like a change of guard happening when you have to really actually bring people on board that actually write for the for the for the latest stages when kind of different skill set comes into play. Okay, stop following, press. following Robert. Just this is this is a direct link to Robert's point. Uh, I see mistakes all the time. People doing this, hiring somebody when there are only ten people in the business and calling that person chief yeah. marketing officer. Well, that person's not going to be chief marketing officer by the time that's a Series C company. Don't call yeah. them that. Call them senior marketing manager. Call them head of marketing. Call them something else because you're going to have to. You're going to. You can't change the structure and say you're not that title anymore. We're bringing in. You can't have a senior chief marketing officer, right? So yeah. uh, make sure you're make sure you're careful with job titles at the early stages. On that, though, the job title inflation is often a pressure that uh, recruiters use in order to attract the candidate. Yeah. Um, and we, it, it's one of those, again, not ideal situations, um, but it's plausible that you can call it that, it, you know, even though uh, we haven't articulated that this may change when we're a 5,000 person business. Um, so, so yeah, it is, it is, it is difficult. Um, Maggie, are you still with us, by the way? I'm not sure you are. Uh, you're off camera, definitely. Um, you are, yeah. I thought you were. I can hear you. Ger um, not sure, but Germany, my Lilium is. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, uh, what, what would be, because you're not on screen, right? So what No, I think you need to bring to, me back in. I've tried, I've tried to do that several times. So I think what's happening is you're, you're kind of in limbo. What, what you need to do is get out of it, exit the experience, and then sign back in, and I'll, I'll see you in, I'll search for you, and then I'll bring you back in. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So Maggie was just sitting there all the time. Like she was off. I don't know whether you guys see her. I don't see her. No, so we can't see her. Tiny she, little yeah. box. Tiny little yeah. box. Um, yeah. No worries. She'll, she'll be back. She'll be back. Um, all right. So listen, this is actually a decent break. Um, not to say we're going to do a big break, but we always do this at every single show because Brain Food Live is a conversational space. It's a conversational starting uh, type of uh, initiative. Uh, however, we do need to come off air. Um, and at which point, obviously, the conversation might uh, cease. And I really don't want that. So it is very important for me that anybody who's interested in this topic has the opportunity to continue off air or however which way you want. So we take this opportunity now, take your LinkedIn profile and just put it in the chat stream in Crowdcast. If you're watching this on Facebook, Twitter, uh, uh, LinkedIn or what have you, take your LinkedIn and stick it into the comments thread and then make sure you connect with everyone who's done that. Obviously, if you don't want to connect with anybody, don't believe put your LinkedIn in there. <laughs> if you want to be like very precious about it, don't do it. Um, however, if you do want to expand your network with people that care about startup and scale-up culture, put your LinkedIn in there. Make sure you connect with everybody. You walk away with 20, 30 people that actually might be very good contacts for you. Um, okay, uh, Maggie, you're back. Great to see you. Um, <laughs> No, how, how weird was that? No worries. Um, it's me, I think. You know, and I'm so into this conversation and I'm sitting here like, yeah, I have so much to say and so much to share. And no. You accidentally <laughs> nudge, nudge uh, 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 sort of at the keyboard and like I've been uh, cognitive press though. the wrong button. Yeah, yeah, I think exactly. this, these things might happen. Um, okay, let's talk about um, the, the, the sort of, we're talking about actually the, the categories of how um, a, a company will change based on a funding round. So one of the, the key things I think a lot of people who are from outside of startup need to be aware of is that when we're talking about startups that want to scale, right? So start to scale up type of experience. Those companies are on a mission. 
And the mission is to, 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 to really get to a point where they can either exit the company, they can IPO it, trade sale, whatever it is, um, within a very short time frame. So they're not actually going in there to build a 30-year business or they don't not have a plan uh, to, to, to get to a certain place, which is why they go on this funding round uh, rhythm, which is something is critically important for you to understand as a recruiter, because a lot of your work is driven by where these rounds are. I mean, am I wrong or am I right? Yep. Correct? You're right. Right. Yep. So I've raised 10 million, let's say, which is a, C, a small seed round in 2021. Maybe it's actually now a, a Series A again, but who knows? 10, 10 million, like 90% of that is going to be spent on hiring. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's going to be staff salaries. It's going to be growth. So you know, by the way, if you're coming in, that if you are in a kind of, if the, the, the business is, is uh, sort of about to raise a big round, you're in a situation where you need to prepare to work extremely hard and have the, 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 the team in place to start hiring a lot more people than you anticipated. Um, now, in that experience, what is the culture like in that scenario? Um, any thoughts on this? Anybody's been in that situation pre-big raise and then just after a while, we've got all this money. And then it's like, what, what happens then to your life as a recruiter? Any thoughts? It's like night and day. Um, you get things ready, right? You get things geared up um, and you're like hurrying up and waiting, essentially, till you get the go ahead to move. And when you move, you're moving on all cylinders, right? It's all the time, uh, pedal to the metal, let's go, all right? Do what we need to do, get people in the door, get, get things set up. Uh, fix what we need to fix along the way, but keep it moving. Um, so it's very much night and day. And a lot of people I've seen struggle with that shift, right? So if you're one of the people that struggles with shifting gears very quickly like that, a startup may not be for you because there's a lot of times where you have to shift gears. You have to be strategic in one meaning and very executional and operational in the next. Um, so a startup for me is that is part of the allure for me is that I get to switch gears often and do it, you know, kind of talk at different levels with different things. But if you're a person who's not able to do that well, that can be jarring. So just kind of knowing when you're getting into that type of situation that it's going to be different. No day is going to be the same. It's going to be crazy one day and maybe quiet the next or you know, like even crazier the next day. So it's really going to be this dynamic place for a while. And that's going to mean a dynamic flexibility in your schedule as well. Yeah. It's and like and that's flying. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. It's like, like flying the flying the plane while building the plane. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and it's, figuring it's, it out as we go along, right? Yeah. All of this, I think, is is definitely good fun, but at the same time, people need to be aware. There's there's you've got to be happy with just these dramatic shifts. Yes. Um, and if you're like a person that has high anxiety, I guess. Um, or someone that just needs to have a lot of things settled before they're able to perform or whatnot, then actually the timing of your entry into a particular company is actually really important because if they're on this like ridiculous rhythm, like we saw 2020 earlier this year and 2021, companies were raising like series A, B, C, D in a, sp a space of 12 months. Yeah. You know, it was like the three month yeah. sprints. And you imagine what that's like as a recruiter. You're like suddenly, oh, you got to hire 500 people now. Oh, yeah, you've done it. Well done. Now you got to hire 3,000. Exactly. <laughs> it goes like this. They've been getting, you know, millions of dollars, 150, 250 million dollars in their, in their um, A's right now. Right. And so mm. that getting it in a series A just kicks it into another gear that you don't always expect 
in a in that A round, right? Um, so sometimes you just get these pops of things that happen and you have to be ready for it to, you know, to the point earlier made um, about the ambiguity. It's kind of like you've got to be okay with that ambiguity. And, and there's two things there. I just don't hog the, the conversation, but someone on LinkedIn's just mentioned something really interesting, which is when you're interviewing candidates, you've also got to assess for their ability to context switch yes. in the same way. So, so it's not just a case of you as an individual. When you're hiring people coming in, you've got to figure out, okay, is this person comfortable with these types of troughs, peaks and troughs? And the, the second point I want to make, which, which is real talk, um, but the, the real talk is, is that that is going to mean you're going to have to work hard. Um, there's, there's no getting away from uh, clock, yeah, clock in, clock out. And I know we're, we're at the, the, the cultural zeitgeist at the moment is to say, you know what, the, the work-life balance is there, it's all this type of stuff. I agree with all of that. It's why I work for myself. It's why I do recruiting brain food. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't work for a Series D unicorn. <laughs> I'd never do that again. Um, so I'm here because I actually, you know, I want to take a bath in about in, in half an hour. That's where I'm going to be. However, um, if you're working in a startup, the bath ain't happening, bro. Like you have, you have to be ready <laughs> to just dive in. Yeah, you, know what I'm you, you do. How yeah, you're gonna, sorry. Go how, ahead. How, how the hell do you connect this with with the concept of uh, diversity, though, and bias? Right. Mm. You're you're interviewing you're interviewing people, and you've got to assess them to work out can they be cleaning the floor one minute and then building the new uh, program the next minute, right? So mm -hmm. like how. Who is, who is going to be suited to that? Certain types of people. Does that create a diversity problem and does that create a bias problem? Um, probably probably both. I, no, yeah. I, I, want everyone, I want everyone just to say one word, yes, no. Answer, answer Adam's question. Does it create a diversity problem if this is the pressure of the business? Robert, let's go no. with you. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. No. I, I think depending on the uh, industry, Yes, it can. So it depends on the industry I think you're in That's, because some of our industries are, you know, you're going back generations that have been, and I'm just taking engineering because that's where I have been in. You know, if we think about generations, you know, now we have female engineers, which is amazing. You know, my sister is just trained to become a car mechanic, but 40, 50, 60 years ago, we didn't even think about that. So I would say yes, depending on the industry, actually. You know and what, on the job, it depends on the no, job you're looking no for. There's no caveats to that question, Maggie. You know, Sorry. it's like a black yes. and white yes, no. So got the world isn't black and white. Yes and no, and justify yourself to within exactly. an inch of your I'm, life. I, yeah, I'm, yeah. Try, I'm, trying, I'm trying to decolor the world. I'm trying to make the, it into a but binary it's not like yes and no. Let's reduce it into ones and zeros. No, uh, only joking. Um, however, um, I, 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 my, I'm leaning on yes, because I think some people are just going to have more life stuff going on, which makes it hard. To, to do this yeah. like for instance um I, there's a reason why a lot of startups are started up by people who have got rich parents um, yeah. they've got a big network and they mm -hmm. you know they can take a risk but also they don't have you know a partner they don't have kids they don't have all this type of stuff going on so yes yeah. they can like literally work 100 hours uh, a week on this thing and therefore mm -hmm. in that early stage you know if if, if all things being equal they they might be able to outcompete somebody who can't yeah. give that type of flexibility. But so actually, I think that's I an inherent problem. 
Yeah, but yeah. actually I want to jump into this because this is interesting going back to the stages of a startup and going also back to what Robert said, you know, um, you need certain people at a certain stage of your startup. And as a recruiter, this is an interesting one. And I just think about my time back at Tesla because I worked at 10 years ago when we had 30 people in Europe, 300 people worldwide. People didn't even know Elon is like Elon who? Now you say Elon Musk and everybody, you know, falls over three mm -hmm. times. But, you know, back then it was really interesting because we got, I would say, the real builders, the ones who can take a risk right at the beginning for the first two to three years. And as a recruiter, we networked with the candidates who loved Tesla at the time and even now, but they couldn't take the risk. So actually from a recruiter's perspective, you know, you just be clever. You just actually start to talent pool really early so that it helps you go for the real crazy growth when these companies are funded massively because the recruiters are under pressure. Let's face it, it can be a very unthankful job, unfortunately, depending, you know, how your people team is set up, depending on what your founders are like. But you can help yourself as a recruiter to go through these challenges by knowing that there are stages and by knowing that you need certain types of people at a different stage. Because the real builders don't want to be there at the series D or C or God knows where. And so there's yeah. a natural change. So I think I think that's absolutely correct. Um, the, the 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 ethical problem, the diversity problem, comes in um, where you can correlate um, those uh, traits with demographic information. Um, so you can say, yeah, this person's a builder, great, twenty-five year old guy, engineer, great, that's a builder. Um, yeah. But if that if that person suddenly is a parent of five kids or whatever it is. Um, and they've got responsibilities. You know what? They may have been a builder at that time, but they, they just got too much other things going on, which prevent them, give them more challenges to come in. Adam, you're upset with that. So go on. No, no, no. I, I agree. It's Maslow's hierarchy, isn't it? Right? You it can't is. take a risk if you've got kids. Yeah. However, depending on your circumstances. Yes. Yeah. Actually, that's in my book, by the way. Maslow's hierarchy. And got I think there are. There ahead, are a subset of people who I would say, like, if you're de dedicated to diversity early, yeah. you can do this well, right? Like, you can still do this. The recruiters just have to know what they're doing. The recruiters have to get creative. And you can find scrappy single moms that can do this mm -hmm. from 8 o'clock at 11 o'clock at night, right? Like, you can find those people if you're thoughtful about it. So I always, the reason I said no is because I think this is an easy thing for everyone in startups to say, well, this is just how it is. But my comeback is it's not how it has to be, right? Like if you're thoughtful about it and you have the, the processes in place and you have the right leadership in place, you yeah. can do this. You just have to be thoughtful and good with your time. Okay, so this I is do, actually... Just, sorry, one other really quick thing on this. I, 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 I actually, I do believe that parents... Uh, have got the ability to switch gears quite well. Mm -hmm. And so parents are often pretty good people to have in startups because of their ability to adapt well. But I've yeah. just been completely biased to against non-parents, right? So... Well, I'll tell you what, the, the, let me just say this, because uh, we're running a little bit out of time. The, the shift to remote probably has changed it again in terms of all of our considerations, right? So so the where I was thinking initially, oh, look, it's not going to be that suitable for people with loads of uh, non-work-related uh, responsibilities they need to take care of. Maybe that's a different world now that we can deploy some of those skills remotely. Because mm -hmm. a lot of the time, even a person um, that is a primary caregiver does have time. They just need to be on call at home, so to speak. 
um, uh, because the kid's not going to be 24 by 7 all the time, but there's, there's, you've got to just be there. So um, I, I think remote will change the game somewhat here. Um, but uh, going to Anessa's point, the from a recruiter's perspective, the earlier you get in and able to influence uh, the, the setup with the CEO, that helps you make that sort of understand how um how inclusive you can be going forward if you're dropping in as a recruiter and the company's already at 500 people etc and you know none of that's been thought about i think that might be quite a difficult difficult mm -hmm. thing to change um or you'll be spending quite a lot of time trying to use your phrase in this to, to help people unlearn some of these behaviors and that will <laughs> clash with operational efficiency and pressures to you know get more numbers etc so that can be i think a tough thing so and one last perhaps, thing yeah, I was going to say one last thing just to note on this, because I know you might want to switch Hung, to a different topic, but I always tell recruiters to like, don't put so much pressure on the first ones, right? Like try to bring in several people at a time that don't look like everyone else, because then it's not so much pressure. They don't feel like the tokenized person, right? Can we can we kind of have this cohort of people where they feel more, more included? I think that's also an issue that a lot of recruiters try to do. It's like, well, I got this, I have 10 white guys, but I have this one diversity hire. But that puts a lot of pressure on that diversity hire to be the first, the one, the only. And that's a lot. That's exhausting for that person. So let's hire five people that don't look like everyone else, because then it's it's better. It's easier for that person. And that will be able to us, you know, enable us to actually bring more people in the door that look differently. Well, I think with diversity, there's a lot of um, I don't think CEOs are sitting there as, as, as certainly as from the people I've spoken to. I think they're, they're on board with the concept. Uh, so we, we don't need to, to to do the persuading anymore. Um, the what what HR and TA have got to do is simply um, uh, connect it with sort of uh, the longer term value of, of doing it. You know, because it, it sets the the the, found, the founder effect starts when the very early people you bring in. Um, and it just becomes increasingly difficult if you don't kind of get the diversity uh, right early on. However, not every startup job is going to be that greenfield. You know, lots of times people are going to be inheriting stuff. You're going to be joining a bigger company. Uh, some of the mo most attractive companies that have got to unicorn status already and need to go from 5,000 to 20,000 or whatever it might be that's already there's already cultural debt there so maybe yep. one of the things that you've got to bear in mind as you're walking in assessing it as a job is to understand a little bit about what the the cultural debt is uh mm -hmm. in that uh, in that business um okay cool we'll spend a lot of time kind of saying here here are the things you gotta uh no one more thing that is i wouldn't say negative but just the reality of it um uh, when the money runs out um or when the growth plan needs to be kind of chopped into bits and so on um what has been what can people expect um to happen if this unfortunate situation occurs um and and is there a good or bad way to deal with this um uh, you know does the uh, or is it just going to be you know, like ripping off the plaster of a wound. It's always going to be unpleasant no matter how you do it. Um, thoughts on this? Robert, let's go go to you on this one, man. Sure. And I guess uh, I have my uh, first share of really the high highs of Berlin textile teams and also have the lowest lows um, that I also kind of work with. And I think that's a very poignant, uh, you know, thing that you, that you said, that, you know, the culture and the kind of the great setup ends with with the runway and when the market conditions becoming adverse uh, and it all turns it's actually um, you know it's, it's a completely different reality and a setup then that you have to really um, kind of like navigate 
but really, you know, the VCs are there, you know, they are not uh, and, and kind of in the startups, they are not really like set up for making this great. Ultimately, like founders are uh, only as, as long as they are founders, as they kind of have the, the money, have the kind of financing ground and have the kind of credibility of the VC world to kind of be those founders. And that's what they're looking for through making some of the, you know, really tough decisions. You know, and I used to, you know, work for some companies that, you know, did went through some layoffs, through some, uh, you know, uh, firing of people, through kind of legal cases that they kind of, you know, brought in those situations. And, you know, and it is it is what it is, but it's, it's also the name of uh, the name of the game that the businesses have to ultimately do what they can to look sound, to look prudent, to look like they are capable business people, that they can make tough choices. And unfortunately, you know, like ordinary employees are very often at the very kind of receiving end of what's what's happening here. So, you know, there is there is not much to really prepare for that besides just really understanding how startups operate, who do they answer to, what mechanisms really they have to like co uh, consider and just be kind of honest with yourself that situations like this might happen and you shouldn't never really take it personally. Yeah, so you got you got to basically have a, a kind of a resilience, maybe even an anticipation. You join a startup; it is a high risk, high reward scenario, um, yeah. and these these kind of really sudden. You know, you, you might not be in a situation, for instance, where you can negotiate your exit in six months or whatever. Uh, that it might just be an email um, dropped in, uh, circular on Monday, saying your last day is tomorrow, um, and and that's something you just gotta got to chew, chew down on uh, and, and, and deal with. Um, uh, Anessa, a, a, a sort of maybe um, a bit of advice from you in terms of how to handle it, that type of situation, um, when you're a leader, a CPO, or you're a head of TA, mm -hmm. sometimes we, 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 we are delegated the task to give the bad yeah. news, right? Um, so, <laughs> right. So, so how do yeah. we deal with that? I mean, you know, uh, have you got any advice for someone who might be listening in and thinking, okay, maybe that's going to be happening for me next 12 months or something? Yeah, so I would say from a leadership side, um, I'm always a big fan of transparency as much as you can. Just be honest, right? Don't try to placate people. They see right through it. Don't try to be super positive all the time when you're, you know, your EBITDA is not looking good. You know, just just be real with people. Um, they appreciate it when you're real with them. I think what's worse is when you say everything's wonderful on a Friday and then on a Monday, you, you know, like, oh, I have 800 people. Um, that makes it worse. So transparency for me and just communication throughout is always better from an employee standpoint. I feel like, you know, you've you've got to kind of assess your own risk level, as you mentioned, tongue around like some of these are very high risk situations. Right. If you know you're if you have a look at a scale and you're on the risk averse side a little bit more, you may want to you know, when you start hearing these things of like, hey, our, our um, our revenue isn't so great. Our profits aren't so great. Whatever that is, right, that you're looking at and you're measuring against. If you start to, if you're at an all hands and you start to, start to hear that for two or three months, you know, you kind of have to know yourself and know what might be right for you and when you may need to to jump to another org. Um, because there are people who will stay to the very end and that's just ingrained in them. And there are people who are like, I see where this is going and I know myself, I'm not going to do well here during that time. You just kind of have to know yourself. So for, from an employee standpoint, I think it's really good to understand where your risks lie, where you feel comfortable and where you're going to feel comfortable long term.
yeah i think we all need to have some some method like i'm sure i need to do it you know some sort of like psychometric session where you know let's print out some, a, a document that would describe who you are um yeah. and that that might just guide you a little bit in terms of what to anticipate what to expect um okay maggie let's leave a final word to you um a, a recruiter looking at all of these options maybe they start popping up and there's some uh sort of uh uh juicy things dangled in front of them uh what kind of um what kind of things would you say this person needs to be aware of before they say yes no to a job offer um anyone who wants to start to join a startup you mean yeah hmm I think actually going back to, you know, what we've all said, you know, knowing yourself, knowing your situation, um, knowing how long you could go maybe with a lower salary, um, how much risk you can take, um, be in for a ride. I mean, you, you know, I'm just going to be really biased, right? Um, I'm going to be really honest because I, I like taking challenges. And for me personally, even working in larger corporations isn't always a guarantee that it is more right. stable. Actually, these yeah. days it's really not. Um, it's more about what do I want as an employee? What do I want to gain from that company? And how many years do I need there? Is it the name that I need? And this is the reality of being a candidate, right? I'm not even talking about the employer side, but what do I need as a candidate? Is it the name? Is it the job? Is it the technology? Think about these things and then see if you, if that's the right thing for the next two or three or four years, because the reality in a startup is that it's very rare that you stay there 10 years. Yeah. Um, typically, of course, when you join a B or C funded company, you typically have a better run for a longer time because they have more money. I'm not talking pre-seed or stage idea because you, you know, they can, they can, um, uh, close at any time really, but, um, just know yourself and take a risk. You know, it's, it's really worth it. And it's really rewarding. Um, I have to say when you take those risks and there is times in your career when you can absolutely do it and you'll, you'll hate yourself if you're not going for it, you know, you only live once. Um, you know what? I think we'll, uh, we'll leave it there, Maggie, because I think that's absolutely correct. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I've been involved in a number of disastrous companies, um, <laughs> or, or what might, might, you know, be perceived or reported as such, uh, some of them have been all right. Um, uh, but, um, the, 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 reality of it is even the companies that didn't end up, uh, sort of succeeding in the way they wanted to succeed. You look at all of the, where all of the employees have gone, all the people I hired, um, they've all gone on to do amazing things afterward. Um, and I think they'll all come back, they'll all come back to say, say exactly this. Um, even though at the time it was tumultuous and yes, there was like a very quick sudden exit, et cetera, in an, in, in, a, in an unexpected way, they've all gone on to progress in, in, and do wonderful things. So mm -hmm. it is a wonderful environment to be in and, uh, something to, uh, uh, to be aware of. And, um, it's just about opening your eyes and being informed when you make those decisions. Um, Okay, that's about it. So thank you so much. Let's say goodbye to our guest, Maggie. Thank you for joining us and persevering with the tech. Um, <laughs> and uh, do let me know when you're in London, by the way. I'd love to catch up. Um, okay. Great to see you, Anessa. I know you're in London for a couple more days. So do enjoy the rest of your stay. Thank Go you. to the Shard and take a look at the view. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Robert, great to see you, man. I hope things are going good with you. Let me know uh, when you next want to check in. Um, we'll, uh, we'll catch up and see what, what, what you're up to, man. Great. Thank you for the invite. It was a pleasure. Take care, man. Cool. That was pretty good, wasn't it? I enjoyed that. That was a really interesting conversation. Um, so thank you, everyone, for watching. That's about it. We'll be back on Monday. Adam, are you there? Bake Fresh, yeah. are you doing it? Yes, no? Right, yeah. we're going to keep doing Bake Fresh, even though no one's watching it. We've got 25 people last time. How on earth did that happen? Um, I've got to figure out how to market it. 
Um, if it stays at low numbers, what I might do is pull it off Crowdcast and stick it into Discord and start a conversation going there. Don't know whether you're up for that. Um, yeah. but, but we need to, we need, I, I want to do something on discord and maybe it becomes more discursive, um, you know, get a round table in rather than just me and you chatting over it. I don't know. Um, but we'll see, we'll stay on Crowdcast Mondays. The next time we're going to be on air, we're back on Friday. I forget what the next show is. If you've enjoyed this conversation, make sure you follow the channel. We do this multiple times a week, every Friday, brain food live on air. All right. That's it. See you later, everyone. Um, Adam. Yeah. See you later, mate. Bye-bye.